I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Now with Land Grant, Holy Land. I'm joined today by Jordan Williams, and we have an absolutely loaded show for you guys today. It felt like every single piece of news that could have happened happened today, and we're going to talk about all of it. We're going to get into last week's realignment, but first, let me welcome in the co-host of the evening and of Buck Off, Jordan Williams. How you doing? Man, I'm doing good. It was a pretty good day, but it's even better with all the stuff we get to talk about. I was just joking earlier that uh, the football gods are blessing us for dealing with pandemic football last year. So it's going to be a fun show. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start because we've got conference realignment conversations with Oklahoma and Texas news. We have the news that broke today with future possibly quarterback one of the Ohio State Buckeyes, Quinn Ewers, possibly reclassifying. Uh, This is all huge news. I think it's all very impactful on the future of the sport. Number one, I mean, Quinn Ewers, you have the individual conversation that comes from discussing it from an Ohio State standpoint. But him reclassifying for NIL is going to have huge ramifications on future prospects when it comes to college football. And then on the realignment aspect, What's next? Like Oklahoma and Texas really got the ball rolling. So we're going to talk about it all. Uh, how are you feeling about today's news though? Honestly, if I could, if I can be completely honest from an Ohio state standpoint, I don't care. I, I, I just don't think, it, I don't think it's that important for this season, which is really what I'm focused on. Um, for Quinn, I think it's really cool. I actually read the story. Um, and I think like, Essentially, his family was just saying that they have the opportunity. Um, one of the companies is something they really care about because it, it, it's kombucha, which deals with stomach health. And his mom had like colon cancer and they just don't like that. He's being blocked from that opportunity. Um, and, it, and it seems like they all want him to stay in high school. He wants to stay in high school. But it's just hard to turn down potentially seven figures. So on, on a personal side, I'm. Hey, go get your money. Um, I, I'm in all support. But for the Buckeyes, I, I just – I don't really care. I, I, I don't think that um, – I don't think it's going to change anything. I don't think he gets added into the quarterback competition. I, I think he comes in and he might as well red shirt or gray shirt. You know, he's just coming a year early because of the money. Yeah, I think one thing they touched on, and we're just going to jump into the conversation now about Quinn Ewers and NIL. It's it's an absolute uh, 
it's going to be an interesting talking point. I think the national heads are going to run with this quite a bit. And I think when you really look at the grandstanding, I, I think uh, the parents of Quinn Ewers said it best. They don't want him to have to be a martyr for future individuals. They don't want him to have to sacrifice all his normal teen kid stuff, his senior year. Uh, he's already going to sacrifice a lot of it because we'd all assume he'd be an early enrollee in the January. We didn't think the reclassifying was going to happen. And I think they said it best. I said they just don't want them to be blocked from these opportunities in high school if they have the opportunities in front of them. And I think that's a very fair point and a very fair assumption from the parents. And I'm hoping that with the legislation and the states changing, that's something they really open their eyes with because high school sports and college sports have always worked in a very like synchronized way with their rules and what they allow. So I think it's time for high school interscholastic federations to really take the time to reevaluate what they allow from their players. Cause there's a lot of things they could do in high school, but there's still a lot of things they can't do. Yeah. I have a, I have a tough time with that. The only reason I would, I think I agree with you is because their parents are still involved. I really don't see, you know, a, a reason for high schoolers to be making money off name, image and likeness. Um, but only because I think that they're still children and we should treat them as such. Uh, I'm very torn with it because it's like you shouldn't be famous in high school. Right. I mean, in, in some cases you are. I mean, I don't remember her name and I wish I would have thought of it. But a 17 year old just won gold in the Olympics. So like some of that stuff happens. And I get that. Um, I just struggle with like kids not being kids because of like social media and stuff like that. And like the backlash, like we talk about it all the time. Like we talked about it around signing day and stuff like that. I don't like the access that people have to 16, 17 and 18 year olds because they are still kids. But then at the same time, I'm personally torn because it's like, you do have a name, right? You do have a name and you have built this. Um, I can't remember her name, but do you remember the, the, um, the girl maybe four years ago, uh, on the Little League baseball team, who was amazing. Uh, Monet Davis was her name. Yes, Monet Davis. If, if they would have had NIL, she could have really capitalized off that. So I'm torn because I want kids to stay kids, and I don't like the media and annoying fans and people who forget that they're 14, 15, and 16 uh, to have access to them like that. But then the other part of it is like some of them do get names and some of them do get famous and some of them are amazing athletes and we let child actors make money. So at the same time, high school athletes, if they are, if someone is willing to give them the money, they should be able to. Yeah. And I think one struggle I have with it is when you talk about a lot of 16 to 17 year olds, there's a lot of people who would be able to take advantage of them from a financial standpoint, parents and guardians. Uh, they don't always have the best interest of an athlete or their, I guess their own children in their, in their mind. Uh, it's an opportunity to make money. It's something we see with child stars all the time. But I think you look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you look like, you look at a guy like Tate Martell, you look at Quinn Ewers currently when they were coming into school, they were household names already. So I think uh, there's advantages and disadvantages to it. It's all got to be uh, monitored, obviously, since they're kids. And like any high school job or any job that a kid gets to start off, like there's going to be challenges. There's going to be new stuff to it. I don't know how much a high school player could actually profit. But there are some guys who get followings up into the 60, 70, 80,000s pretty early on in their high school careers. 
And that's just an opportunity to make money off subscriptions on YouTube. Uh, you know, they could take control of their own content and do that stuff and just be able to profit off of it. Yeah, I agree. The one thing that I think of, just because I mentioned the child stars, I really have two points, and this is totally off the wagon, but it makes the point that we're making. One, Britney Spears and what she's going through with her dad being a conservator and all of that kind of stuff, the pressure and stuff that she was on, and now she's an adult and still doesn't have full control of her life. And then, honestly, literally every child star, especially the Disney Channel child stars, they end up going to jail doing drugs, um, alcohol, different stuff like that, because it's so much pressure um, on a, a kid. And then for the ones who don't typically go that route, even thinking like, you know, um, Ariana Grande and some of the other ones, like they face a lot of backlash when they stop making kid music, like when they stop making like the Disney hits and want to make like, like Hannah Montana, well, Miley Cyrus, faced a lot of backlash too when she started talking about alcohol and drugs and like sex and adult things in her music so I'm just really torn I I think and Quinn in particular it seems like he has a really good head on his shoulders it seems like his parents are very involved and and they're in support of it and so I, I, I would hate to say that he shouldn't be able to make money because of another case somewhere else so I fully understand him, I just I think it's a, a floodgate that we got to be careful of if we um, if we really I think it's better to let a kid like this reclassify, go to college and make money than it is to open the floodgates and just let every high school athlete in the world make money. But I could be in the unpopular opinion with that one. Yeah, it's kind of like with all things when it comes to money and finances with young people, it's a double edged sword. Uh, like, yes, there's obviously positives and there's going to be definitive negatives that come with it. I think uh, I, I believe it was uh, G. Scott's dad. He talked about it. He said, uh, make sure that your main thing stays your main thing. Like all this other stuff's there for your benefit, but it's not what got you there. And I think that's got to be that's the responsibility of the coaches. That's the responsibility of the adults in the room to make sure that these Kids have the plans, have the resources to truly benefit from it and not let it take control of them. Yeah, I agree. And then, like, it's just like I feel like people then start pocket watching. And what if he shows up with a bunch of tattoos or what if he gets a nice car? What if he whatever, like if he's not like donating to charity now, people are like, oh, well, he's getting all this money at 18. and He's doing all this other kind of stuff that any 18 year old would do, which is stupid. And I mean, these students and these kids just get so much negative energy regardless like I'm, I'm so bad with names but i'm sure you probably remember um the the athlete whose dad was just proud of him from ohio state who posted um him gaining i think it was like 20 some uh, pounds at ohio state's weight program and literally like everyone's attacking him all the michigan people who people say that ohio state has the worst fans michigan fans are definitely worse um all the people saying he's on drugs and he's shooting up and all this other kind of stuff. And it was literally just a dad being proud of his son and the work that he put in. Yeah. Because even if you're on steroids, which they're not, they get drug tested. Even if you're on steroids, steroids themselves don't just make you big. You still have to go to the gym. You still have to eat right. You still like, it can help, but he's also not on steroids. So it's a father just trying to support his kid. And literally it got so bad that the dad was just like, I, I see why people don't post their kids on social media. So now you add money into it. And I, I'm just cautious. That's all. I'm just worried. 
of the negatives that can come with it, yeah. even though the positive is life changing money. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the. I mean, I don't want to like defend the NCAA here at all because I think they've done enough to like really just harm the athlete from a chance to be themselves, and you know they take so much away from them and they have for so long. But I think that was like the main worry was kind of besides them obviously losing out on money was just kind of when do these guys become professional and what does that mean to be an amateur athlete who can make money and all that stuff. And when you look at it on paper, it's super simple. Yes. You can make money off your name, image and likeness, but what comes from making money and what comes from having money are two different things than what it is on paper. Like, yes, it's nice that they can make money, but there are always going to be, problems that come with it, no matter what the case is. Facts. And I think for me, the line is when they enroll in college. Like, I actually, I genuinely don't think that the Texas law is actually that bad. And a lot of people are crapping on it. I genuinely don't think it's that bad. Um, I think when you're 18 and you enroll in college and you're literally treated like a professional because you are, that's when you can start making money, especially because... In an ideal world, your school has your best interest and they have all these training programs, these lawyers, these people who can like really genuinely help you um, and who also are paid a stupid amount of money. So don't need your money. Like I would be surprised if we hear like an Ohio State or a Michigan or a Texas or Alabama lawyer is like stealing money from kids because they're millionaires themselves. So they're genuinely in it for the best interest because Oh, maybe not best interest, but they're in it because they're getting a paycheck, whatever. But they're not trying to steal from these kids, as I guess is what I'm trying to say. But when you're in high school, I just don't think that that's 100 percent necessary. Um, and that's why I said in a case like this, he is 18. He does have the ability to reclassify. This is something that at 14 and 15, if you think you were that, you know, you have that ability, you can just plan to graduate high school early. That is a thing. I would I would much rather that route than just opening the floodgates. And so if he comes to Ohio State and he makes the money and he signs the deals, all power to him, especially because if he's on the roster, regardless of what that means on the field, he has access to all of the programs and the lawyers um, and the um, everything that Ohio State is providing all of their student athletes when it comes to NIL. He's not just relying on his parents. Although, again, from whatever you can get from the media and different things, it does seem like his parents you know, have his best interest in mind. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of the overarching conversation that's going to be coming over the next few years to just how has this benefited them? How has this hurt them? And as always, the world's going to evolve with it. So we're going to see a lot here, but this also has a possible impact on the field. And I know you and I discussed this before the show, Quinn Ewers coming in immediately to me does not signal that he's going to be the starting quarterback of Iowa State at all. I think there are kids there who are extremely talented in C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord and Jack Miller who have time on them, they have age on them, and they have experience in the program around them. Yes, Quinn Ewers can do some stuff that is absolutely ridiculous with the football, but there's so much more that comes to playing quarterback than just being able to throw the ball 65 yards sidearm. 
Yeah, I agree. And the one thing that I think is really important is like people have never seen him play. I've never seen him play. You can watch the highlights, that kind of stuff. But his recruiting ranking is based on everyone else in the class. It's not him as a player and it's not comparing him to other players. It's just saying you are the best player in your class. And they are not, if my memory served me, he's the only five-star quarterback in his class. Like they're just not good quarterbacks in this class. They That may have changed recently, but from last time I looked, he was the only five-star quarterback in his class. So um, I'm not saying that he's not good, um, but what I'm saying is I don't think he is football Jesus where he's just going to come in and immediately be the best player on the roster because if he is the best player on the roster, I think that's more of an indictment on who Ohio State has recruited, especially when you give them some time in the program. Personally, I want the best player to play, so I don't care who it is. Um, but I also think if you have, if you're like Ohio State or Alabama or what, or Georgia, and you're constantly having freshmen start, I think that means you didn't recruit well. Like we're expecting a bunch of younger players to start on defense because they didn't recruit well for a three-year stretch, and now the defense isn't that good. Like you don't want to be in that position. Um, and I think we agree on this. We think they did recruit well. Yeah. We think that CJ, whoever it is, I know Jack Miller's not getting a bunch of love, but CJ Stroud, Jack Miller, Kyle McCord, they're all just as good. Potentially could be better than Quinn Ewers. And so I just don't see him coming regardless of when he comes and just immediately being the starter. Yeah, I mean, like, if you just take a look at the recruiting rankings of all of them, I mean, Jack Miller fell a lot due to his injuries his final season. But before that, he was a top 50 quarterback recruit. C.J. Stroud was a 42nd-rate quarterback in his class and one of the fastest risers in it. And with more time, probably could have become a five-star recruit. Kyle McCord was a legit three-year starter in Philadelphia's best league and came through a program that's known for putting out pretty solid quarterbacks. So five-star recruit, high four-star, fringe five-star recruit in C.J. Stroud, and a guy who was a very highly touted quarterback prior to injury in Jack Miller. So it's not a question to me on if there's talent in the room. It's just, is Quinn Ewers going to be able to come in, conquer this insurmountable lead that's probably been built throughout the offseason, learn a playbook, get – comfortable with the wide receivers and then make those types of like leaps and strides in a month. I don't think so. I think CJ Stroud's going to be locked in as a starter. I know we kind of got bold predictions coming up, but I just don't see, I don't see it the way that a lot of fans are seeing it. Yes. Quinn Ewers was the number one ranked recruit, but it doesn't mean as much as people think. No, not at all. And here's the, here's the perfect example, right? Trevor Lawrence was the number one rated recruit, and people say that he was one of the best recruits they've ever seen. But Justin Fields was just as good. People had The reason why Trevor Lawrence wasn't a thousand-level recruit is because there were people who thought that Justin Fields was better. Justin Fields won the Elite 11 competition. All of those coaches said that he was the best quarterback that they've seen. They come to college. Yes, Trevor Lawrence got it done and won the national championship. But you could argue the two times that they were on the field, Justin Fields played better both times. And I've argued that every single – like, I will argue that for the rest of my life. Trevor Lawrence was still the number one pick. So even in a even in a case of someone, Trevor Lawrence, three-year starter, won a national championship, he's done everything you could want as a quarterback in college except win the Heisman 
first round pick, literally every dream, every box check. He wasn't even a solid. Everyone knows he's the best quarterback because there was Justin Field. Like, and there were people, whether you believed it or not, there were people in the NFL who didn't have the number one pick who said that they would draft Justin Fields or who said that they would draft Trey Lance or someone else over um, Trevor Lawrence. So recruiting rankings are important, but nothing matters until you're in the building, until you're putting in the work. And, and these differences between quarterbacks are very minimal. Sometimes it's not who's the better quarterback, it's who the, who the team likes better, who, who's the better leader. You know, if you can both throw 50 miles, you know, 50 yards, it's the little things that separates you. And those are the things that the other quarterbacks have a leg up on. So how much better would Quinn Ewers have to be to supplant all the work that everyone else has done? I just don't think I don't think I don't think Trevor Lawrence, if he was reincarnated as a freshman, as a high school prospect, I don't think he would come into Ohio State and, and win the job over everyone that we have here if he was a freshman, um, because I think we have a really good quarterback class. Yeah, I kind of want to build on that. I, I think there's two tales to that same story with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. We saw a very talented quarterback in Kelly Bryant as the starter going into that season, right? Uh, Trevor Lawrence was significantly better from a talent standpoint. That was the big difference there. But Kelly Bryant is not wasn't the high four-star. He wasn't the type of five-star recruit that Ohio State has in the room right now. You know, the same thing happened in Georgia – where Justin Fields was obviously once you see the end of their careers, Justin Fields was significantly more talented than Jake Fromm was. Georgia made a decision to not go with Justin Fields. He ended up leaving. And then by the time like careers were done and in the books, uh, I think most people would agree that Justin Fields had a significantly better career. Uh, I'm not saying that either decision's right. Uh, I think it's a tough decision because if Quinn Ewers comes in and is more talented, uh, Ryan Day, this is where I we need to trust him. He always, he's going to make the best decision. All right. I've seen it. We've all seen it before. That's why I brought in Justin Fields in the first place. If Quinn Ewers comes in, lights up the world and is better, uh, we need Ryan Day to have the courage to start him over all the incumbents, you know? And if he's not, we need him to be able to have the stones and talk to the media and talk to everybody and be like, yeah, Quinn came in. He's awesome. Number one ranked recruit. Great. Uh, the guys here are already really good and far ahead, you know, and it's just about managing the situation. I think you want to discuss this a little bit more, but roster management is going to be extremely important in this case. Yeah. And the one thing that I think is important, right, uh, especially out of Ohio State and Alabama, uh, Georgia, right? These are the, these are the schools that we're putting ourselves against. It doesn't matter if someone transfers. It matters that you keep the best player, right? If Chris Olave transfers, you have an issue. If Garrett Wilson transfers, you have an issue, right? But Jamison Williams transferring is not a problem, right? We were all upset about, you know, you, you can, in hindsight, you can say, well, Joe Burrow, right? But Dwayne Haskins had the best quarter, the best season a Big Ten quarterbacks ever have. No, it wasn't the season that Joe Burrow had, but in the in the year that they were both in college, he was the better. year that they both played, he was better. He went to the NFL. He was the first round pick. We didn't. No one obviously saw what Joe Burrow was going to become, and that was a hurricane. That was a tornado. Whatever you want to call it, everything that went right went right, and it just clicked for him. And now he's going to have a, a good NFL career, but. 
they didn't make the wrong decision. Yeah. And then Joe we, Burrow they, was a five-year player, and there's a reason he was a five-year player. It wasn't because he wasn't lacking talent. It was because it took him a little bit to fully develop, you know. And Dwayne Haskins, in the year when the decision was made, Joe Burrow was coming off a broken hand. He had never started a game either. So the decision was tough, and that's the eliteness of this program. Uh, can we make a one-year decision on C.J. Stroud and still have a competition in the next camp or Kyle McCord in the next camp with Quinn Ewers with another year under belt? Absolutely that's possible because it's about putting the best player on the field. But I just think it's a tough conversation. I don't think a guy who's planning on playing his senior – was planning on playing his senior year in high school comes in and just walks into the park, you know, this isn't the JT Daniels situation at USC. This isn't a reason he's reclassifying is because it's wide open. You know, people say it's wide open. I don't think this is a wide open quarterback competition. I, I think it's partway open, um, but I don't think it's wide open for Kyle McC- uh, CJ. I don't think it's wide open for Quinn Ewers to come in and get a chance to start. I just don't believe it. First of all, Ryan Day's offense isn't easy. Like, a quarterback is not – like, there's a difference between a freshman quarterback starting who's been there from the spring than a freshman quarterback starting who came August 3rd. Like, he's hoping to get here August 3rd. Like, he didn't even get here in in June or July. Like, he hasn't seen the playbook. Um, So – I just don't think there's a really chance that he's going to be an immediate starter. I have it said that if he starts at all at Ohio State, it's not going to be until 2023. I think whoever the quarterback is going to be a two-year starter minimum. And then if Quinn Ewer sticks it out, he's going to start 2023. But the reason why I brought up the transferring is at the end of the day, whether he transfers, C.J. Stroud transfers, Kyle McCord transfers, Jack Millett, whoever transfers, I just have faith at this point in the program and in Ryan Day and in our staff that the one that we keep or the ones that we keep are going to be the best one. No one's saying that Jamison Williams is going to have a better season than Chris Olave because the best wide receivers stay. Yeah, um, and on top of that, I think – it's just the modern era of college football. I think I, I was reading tweets before this, and one of the best tweets I saw was, this is Ohio State. Uh, you're just trying to get as many of the best players as you can. Uh, and you some figure it are, out later. Yeah, some of them are going to leave. Some of them are going to stay. Uh, I, I, I just, It's just the battle you're always playing. And I don't think Quinn Ewers coming in as an 18-year-old uh, he's going to obviously want to compete to start. That's anyone's dream. But I, I don't think you could come in with the expectation that this is going to be a one-year process. It just gets him in the room one year earlier. It gets him in the room another time. And, you know, if there's an incumbent starter, it's going to be the same process anyways for him. It's just he's going to be on campus a year earlier. Yeah. The one thing that's interesting with that too, as I'm sure we want to move on to other topics is, Ryan Day essentially said it at, at media days, at the Big Ten media days, JT Tuomalau is at a disadvantage. And he plays a position where you can play six guys. Yeah. But because he didn't come in in January, because he missed the summer workouts, even though, I mean, he looks jacked. I literally tweeted today, he's 18 and looks 25. Yeah, he is ready to like, play he now. Looks, yeah, he looks like he could play now, but there's a difference. There's a difference of being in the playbook, of being in that program, of, of being – and that getting the elite um, coaching from these guys, exactly. just that extra so, bit of time is so much. 
And so he's not he's not going to be a day one starter. And he could have been a day one starter if he reported in January. And that's again, we all agree with his decision. I'm just saying he's playing a position where you play six or seven guys where he could get on the field and he's not penciled in as a starter because of the time he missed. So what are you going to do at a position where only one guy can play? Exactly. And I, I think that's a point that we just both wanted to bring up because it's not going to be a walk in the park for him. This is just going to be hand the keys in the car. It's not like Ohio State hasn't recruited well at the position. It's just uh, I think the two topics of conversation here are senior in high school reclassifying to capitalize on NIL and then the quarterback battle, how much it impacts it. And I think the first one is a huge story because this is kind of just a big deal altogether. So like the first instance of this NIL reclassification. And then the second story, the quarterback battle, it's the same story we've been talking about all spring. The best guy is going to play on the first Saturday uh, in September. It's just how it's going to be. Or I guess it's a Thursday because it's the Minnesota game. Uh, Yeah. So I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of conversation about this. We're going to get the full news break at some point on his decision here before fall camp. So in the next week or so, uh, he finishes the class, I believe, in the article. It's in the 31st and then can be eligible to enroll at Ohio State. So uh, this story is developing. We have a lot of topics left to cover today. But I, I just thought – Breaking news, big news dates uh, came out the day of recording. We just had to, we just had to talk about it. Definitely, and the last thing I'm going to say on this is, as a player, as a college football player, I hope he stays. I think getting that last year of development in high school, winning a national championship before going into the business of college football, I think as a player in person. I hope he stays in high school. Um, on the financial side, though, I will never be mad at someone for getting their money. So I do think he'll be better served staying in high school. Um, but hey, I'm, I'm, I don't have a, I don't have a dog in the fight. So whatever he decides to do, I trust that that's going to be the best decision for him. And I trust that Ohio State is going to handle it the right way. Yeah. And I think that they've earned the right to be trusted on that and on the bug off podcast we are not pocket watchers we want everyone to make as much money as possible and spend it exactly how they want because that's how it should be yeah speaking of pocket watching this is random did you notice in the tbt tournament that they were saying how much money the people were going to make yeah i hated that oh i hated it I, no one knows how much money these people like. You know, someone's gonna watch that and be like, "Oh, I haven't talked to you in eight years, but you just won X number thousand dollars. Can I can I borrow some money? Can I do this? Can like can you like, invest in my pockets? business? Literally, like I just thought that was so. Like, if someone really cares and wants to do the math and pull up the roster and say, okay, well, there's three coaches, there's ten players, whatever, fine. But I didn't like that. Literally every five minutes in the tournament, they were just shouting out how much money people. Yeah, every out. time, like the little player uh, graphic would come up, it would be small forward position, and then how much money they're getting paid. Yeah, and I, I can't stand that. If college football goes that route, I'm going to absolutely go on a large tangent on why that's incredibly wrong. Yeah, incredibly. I don't even like when they do it in the NFL. Yeah. But the NFL has become commonplace. Like, it's fine, whatever. But, like, I just, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's just too much. I don't pocket watch. Here on the Book Off Podcast, you said it the best. We do not pocket watch. No pocket watch in here. But we do talk about 
I guess we are pocket watching a little bit with this next segment because it's all about yeah, the money. These aren't people. But these aren't people. people. <laughs> these are public institutions. Uh, they are all the money's public, so we it's not pocket watching if everyone can see it. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break here. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thank you guys for sticking around with us. Welcome back from the break. And what we're leading into is this conference realignment talk. And yes, most of the news broke last week, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it last Wednesday. And it was all developing stories. Now it's all locked in. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas have formally requested to join the Southeastern Conference in all sports. So I guess this news broke last week and everyone's train got rolling and everyone's like realignment season. And, you know, throughout the week, I started thinking about it more and more. And my opinions on mass realignment kind of shifted this week. And I just kind of want to get into it uh, with this first question. The SEC Mega Conference, they're planning on building it. They want to invite everybody, apparently. And I don't think it's good for the sport. No, I think it's terrible. I think it's the worst idea that's ever happened. Because I I think college football is so special in the way that it's so regionalized. You know, Uh, it's the best because the Big Ten represents an area of the country. The Southeastern Conference represents an area of the country. The Big 12 represents an area of the country. The Pac, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, The idea that that's not important to the fabric of the sport and it's getting totally over. Uh, blown and stepped all over. It, it's kind of a little infuriating to me as like more on the purest side of college football. I love conferences. I love the way the layout is currently. Uh, and it it does suck that this seems like it's leading to a point where we're going to have super conglomerates instead of conferences. So I, I don't think that'll ever happen. I, I think I'm in a, um, the minority opinion with that. I just don't think it'll ever happen, partially because I don't think the Big Ten will buy into it. Um, the, literally, the only reason I don't absolutely hate this move is because Oklahoma and Texas are in the South. Like, if this was like USC, I would be screaming from the mountaintops. Like, regionally, technically, it does make sense to be in the SEC, mm. especially because we'll get the, the Texas, Texas A&M, and, and you, Texas, you have- Texas A&M rivalry back. Like, and then I have no issue you look at the natural borders, Oklahoma touches states in the pact or in the SEC, Texas touches Louisiana, it's in the SEC. They're both uh, I think they both consider themselves southern states. Uh I, I somehow. Uh especially yeah. with Oklahoma. I don't know how they would, but I think they would. Uh and yeah. Texas Texas is its own thing. It always has been. 
Uh, but it really opened up a lot of doors. It opened up a lot of conversation topics. And I, I think my, my stance shifted. I don't think the Big Ten needs to expand. And I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and be like, dude, you're crazy. Like, they have to expand. They got to add someone. And I said to myself, I'm like, I was talking to my friend about this earlier today. Uh, the SEC is going to water itself down. You're putting in two more talented programs. Uh, when it comes to a recruiting standpoint, Texas, oh, it's going to be advantageous. We can recruit the South now. Well, you just opened up the door for eight more programs to recruit Texas. So now you're watering down your own recruiting footprint. Then you take it on the TV. Yes, Texas and Oklahoma already have strategic relationships with ESPN. Well, the Big Ten is the largest conference due to revenue in the country already. Uh, what Oklahoma and Texas would have added to that, it's unsure because what markets do they add? They add the Austin market. They add the Oklahoma City market. How much revenue does that bring? It's not the greatest. All right. So I, I don't know. The SEC is gaining two blue blood brands. That is the benefit of it. But when you look at all the checklist, it really doesn't change the fabric of college football that much. No, it doesn't. First of all, I just need to say this. This is the stupidest move that any of these schools has, has, has ever made because Oklahoma is not. I know that they think they're going to do well in the SEC. They're not. They're not. They're not going to win the SEC. Um, they're not going to be better than Alabama. And when Nick Saban retires and if Alabama falls off, they're not going to be better than Georgia. Because the only reason Georgia is not a national power is because of Alabama. There's no team in the SEC that's better than Georgia besides Alabama. Georgia is the only reason Georgia isn't Alabama is because Alabama exists and Georgia refuses to get a good quarterback. Yeah. Like Georgia's still playing like it's freaking 2006. And they're going to be the third best team in the SEC at best. And they're not going to be that because – like the third best team is going to rotate between Florida, LSU, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and like a random good season from Auburn every 10 years. Well, think about this. When you look at the way the SEC's aligned, uh, Louisiana, very fertile recruiting ground. Alabama, like relatively fertile recruiting ground for the amount of population they have. Florida's absurd. And then Georgia's absurd when it comes to total elite football recruits. That's four states with each of them having a definitive power in them already. Do you really think Oklahoma joining the SEC is going to help them establish grassroots in Georgia, in Mississippi, in Louisiana? No. If they wanted to recruit there, they're a big enough brand where they already could have been. Uh, exactly. I just It just hurts where they recruit now. It just hurts Texas more. Yeah, I believe in the SEC boost. For a team like Texas A&M, I believe in the SEC boost for a team like Missouri. I don't believe in an SEC boost for Texas. You're freaking Texas. You own a throw conference out, already. Like, what are you talking about? Like, throw out Vince Young. Like, throw out all of the people. It's, it's freaking Texas. Like, and Texas can't even get players from Texas. So the SEC bump is not going to matter. It's not. And Oklahoma, you're Oklahoma. You have three of what? Three of the last five Heisman. You have two number one picks and people are saying that Spencer Rattler might make it three. Like you're literally quarterback gold. You have a coach who's in his like thirties who could be there. And there's literally not a better job in America than Oklahoma, except maybe Ohio state and Alabama. And you can't leaving. 
he's not leaving for either of those because he's in a similar position. So you have a coach in his 30s who's going to be there for freaking ever. Like, you have stability. You you literally own a conference. It is Oklahoma's conference. You have six, seven, eight of the last eight, eight in a row conference championships. Like, there's literally no benefit to this but money. And it's not even that much money in the grand scheme of things. Oh, it is for them. Yeah. It's not for anybody for else. Anybody I mean, else. Making it's like just thirty million dollars right now because no one cares about them. Yeah. Like they're gonna they're gonna get up to fifty. That's gonna be a twenty million dollar difference. But what are you gonna do with it? You're gonna add a swimming tool for your, a swimming pool to your facilities. Like Texas doesn't need an extra twenty million dollars. Yeah, the booster, both schools have the boosters to facilitate the money when they need it. Like what are you gonna literally what are you gonna do with that? You're gonna build a new building, you're gonna go do this, you're gonna make football more of a professional sport, you get, you're gonna add a lazy river and a, a million massage therapists and it just I on paper it doesn't make sense. And I, I think uh it's exciting. I guess Oklahoma fans are really excited, Texas fans are really excited. And I, I keep seeing the joke. It's like, oh, well, now Texas can really be a proud seven and six program in the SEC. And that keeps cracking me up because I'm like, they go seven, <laughs> they go seven and six in the Big 12. They suck. They go seven and six in the SEC. It just wasn't their year. And they're just not, they're not good in the Big 12. What are they going to do in the SEC? Yeah. It, they're literally going to, like, their best season is going to be eight and four. It, and that's what their best season is right now. So. So it's really going to be six and six. I, I, I literally, I would bet money, especially because this is not going to happen until after my wedding. So I might have money. I would literally bet money that in Texas, first three to five years in the SEC, they have a six and six record. Yeah, once at least, they're not going to be good unless, like, I don't wish no injury on anyone. Unless Nick Saban, um, Mark Rich, oh, that's he's a he, that's not him. Kirby Smart. Who Kirk, uh, Kirby Smart? And uh, like both have career ending injuries where they just up and decide to retire. Texas is not going to be a good program in the SEC. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And I guess that kind of takes us to the Big Ten conversation. Uh, everyone's talking about the additions the Big Ten has to make. So I kind of had a few listed here and I went through all of them. All right. And uh the Big Ten has some very strenuous requirements that a school has to pass. They have to be a large, usually state research institution. Uh, I, I don't know what the, the term is, but it's an AAU school, uh, and that's something to do with academics. And all 14 Big Ten programs meet that requirement. A lot Nebraska of the, does not anymore. Remember Nebraska doesn't out. anymore? No, they got kicked out. Dang. Oh. Like right after they became Big Ten. Um, it stands for Association of American Universities. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, Nebraska got kicked out like a year or two after they came to the Big Ten. And everyone in the Big Ten was livid. Yeah, and it, it's one of those interesting things because the Big Ten has more sports than just football. So everyone, and I'm sorry, Bobby Carpenter. I'm sorry, Buckeye Scoop. I'm sorry, anybody who is just thinking about this from a pro football standpoint. The conference isn't based off just football the conference is based on the holistic integrity of all 14 member institutions and then from that comes all the sports so academically it's going to be number one priority in the next person they add uh there are teams on that list that meet those requirements uh i think virginia was thrown around i think north carolina was thrown around i know oh, i'd I, love north carolina I they never leave in the acc but they're too much yeah and then uc boulder was thrown around colorado washington 
Oregon, uh, USC, UCLA. And then the Big 12, guess what? None of the remaining Big 12 teams meet the requirements to join the Big 10. And they bring literally nothing. I think Iowa State does. Iowa State brings a decent program and decent athletics. But when you talk about market, the market, the TV market, Ames, Iowa, it brings nothing to the table. The only person who benefits from that relationship is me. Is Iowa State. Honestly. You kind of don't even really benefit from it because Iowa State will just go back to being really bad if they join the Big Ten. I don't care. I just want to like... So this is the the part of me that's like a big like Big Ten regional. I love everything about the Big Ten person. Would love Iowa State just so we can have that the Iowa Iowa State rivalry, yeah, the battle for um, the Cyhawk or it, whatever. It it's literally, called. it literally wouldn't matter though because next year Matt Campbell is going to be the coach of Michigan and the Iowa State is going to be terrible again. So it's not a smart business decision. I just think it would be cool to like we have Iowa to have like we have Michigan Michigan State have Iowa Iowa State. Like I just think it would be cool. Um, but yeah, me thinking it would be cool does absolutely nothing business-wise. It's a terrible decision. So, yeah, and I think that's the one thing. So, academically, the schools that Ohio – or I guess the Big Ten would enjoy bringing in already have – you were right the they're, first time. They're already sta- – yeah, Ohio State. <laughs> that Ohio State would bring in, uh, they are already kind of established or kind of – running their own show in their own conference. So they're not going to pass, you know, uh, then on top of that, you take a look at the realistic feasibility of whoever the big 10 adds. What's it really bringing to the table? Because I made a checklist. The first one, they have to be an AAU school. The second one, they have to be a very advantageous TV market because it's all about the money. Check Rutgers. Uh, and then the third one is prominence in athletics. And when that's the third one on the checklist, uh, there's a lot of schools that would be awesome. Like on paper, they'd be great for just football, for just basketball. But when you take a look at the whole conference, is it that beneficial? And that's where my answer is no. I think the 14 teams in the Big Ten are great. I don't think these teams really eat each other up too much. I think there's a definitive pecking order. And I think I think you tweeted this today, actually. Like, Ohio State, with all this conference realignment, once the SEC gets all big, is a lot to keep winning Big Ten championships yeah. and making the playoff. Which is, which is really all that matters. And, the, and then they're going to play a beat-up SEC team. And, 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 like, as long as it's not Alabama, because you can just never – predict anything with Alabama, which team in the which team in the SEC is going to beat Ohio State more times than not? I can't can't think of the answer. Georgia's gonna give Georgia might give us a run for our money, but they could barely beat Cincinnati. So Yeah. Until Georgia gets a quarterback, they're not gonna beat if they can't beat they're not gonna beat Ohio State because they can't beat Alabama. Yeah. So the one thing that I, the one thing that I think is important to mention, um, especially about the AAU thing and and I, I believe I heard this on from Bruce Feldman. I wish I could give credit, um, but all, if you don't listen to a million podcasts like me and read, have an athletics uh, subscription and read a million stories a day, the, the reason why the AAU is, expen- is important is one, the Big Ten is very big on academics, and there's actually a Big Ten alliance outside of sports where they share professors in libraries and things like that. Like, if you go to a Big Ten school, you can rent – like, if you go to Ohio State, you can rent a book from – I had to get books from Michigan for my major. Like, it sucked, but I had to do it. 
Yeah, and then not only that, the other thing is like football makes some money, but every school in the Big Ten makes more than four hundred million dollars a year from research. So that is what the AAU is. They are the elite research universities. They bring in a stupid amount of money, and the Big Ten essentially pulls that money together to do major research. And at the end of the day, as much as we love sports, schools are about research. It is about the money. Um, and if you are not bringing in $400 million plus a year in research, the Big Ten president aren't voting you in, especially because that's the other important thing. It's not Gene Smith making this decision. It's the presidents. And most of the presidents, as we saw with the football decision last year of canceling the sports, they care more about the academics. They care more about the research money. So if you are not, and that's why, like, it may seem stupid, like, why does the AAU matter? It's Baylor, it's Kansas, it's whoever you want to name. It's because every school at minimum in the Big Ten is bringing in $400 million a year in research dollars. And that's honestly why Nebraska wanted to join up in the Big Ten before they lost their status, was so they could end up growing their school from that standpoint. So it's it, yeah. it's such a big part of the equation that I think a lot of fans are overlooking at the moment. And I think the last point of my part of this conversation here is if you want to do conference expansion, if you want to do stuff for TV, the Pac-12, the Big 12, whoever's left, whatever happens to the conference, it's called TV deals, TV partnerships, you know, crossover events. You know, in college basketball, they do it right. They have the ACC Big Ten Challenge. There's all those types of challenges in the uh, not the preseason, but before the conference play starts. And those types of things are very easily done with a TV partner. And I think that's really where you can see an additional increase in revenue for all the conferences, not name the SEC. Yeah. At this point, I don't know if anyone's going to make any money because everyone's cord cutting. I think this is literally like um, one thing we forgot to mention is that the big 12, they gave a cease and desist to ESPN because we all know that ESPN is the reason this happened yeah. because it's about money and the playoffs and all that other kind of stuff. But I think um, one thing that is important to remember is that um, at the end of the day, there's always going to be money, but there are other things that, that matter. And so from a football perspective, they're never going to make as much money and the conference is probably going to implode. But I hope that the Big 12, you know, swallows its pride and pulls up and pulls up. I would love to see Cincinnati, UCF. SMU. There's some teams. Liberty. Like, I would love to see those ones in the Power Five, especially because it means we're going to get them in the playoffs. Last year's Cincinnati team, Georgia was one of the best teams in the country, and they should have beaten Georgia. Are you telling me Cincinnati isn't beating Oklahoma? They may not because Oklahoma is great offense, but it's not going to be a blowout. Like, yeah. Cincinnati deserves to be in the playoffs. And, like, before before we drive, we got a couple more things we got to talk, talk about. But, like, the American Athletic Conference is in prime position to take some of the more premier leftovers of the Big 12 because they've got established TV deals. They're growing. And if they could get some real recognizable brands in their conference, that legitimizes Cincinnati. That legitimizes UCF. That legitimizes all those. But the Big 12 also, like you said, should have the stones to try to make a move for the big players in there and reinvent the Big 12. So, yeah, the only reason I think it's going to go the other way is because the Big 12 is going to keep their distinction 
and the autonomy five, yeah. which means that they can make their, if you don't know what that is, it just means the, the power five schools basically got, were voted to remove themselves from the NCAA, which is how like the playoffs and stuff happen. Like that's not controlled by the NCAA. Yeah. The NCAA controls like all the other playoffs and college basketball and that kind of stuff. But the power, the autonomy five can make their own decisions within reason. And so I think it's going to happen the other way where schools join the big 12 because they get that distinction and it's not just about the money and stuff. But either way, I just want to see Cincinnati, SMU, UCF. Get I want to see them opportunities. get a real opportunity. And, I mean, you're telling me that Cincinnati isn't going to go to the new Big 8 and be the best team there? Yeah, you Who's can add them? Cincinnati. And then that re that goes back to the market conversation from TV standpoint. You get SMU, you still keep the Dallas market. You know, the money is there for the Big 12 to re revitalize itself. I think it's all in play for them. Yeah, it's not going to be record-setting deal, but it'll be something. It'd be better than losing the conference, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah um, 100%. But yeah, I guess uh, that'll take us into our next topic here. Uh, it is Bold Predictions Week at Land Grant Holy Land, so everybody listening here, make sure you guys are all engaging with all the content because these predictions are unbelievably bold. All right, so me and Jordan here are kind of taking a little – play from hang out in the holy land and doing our take on it we're not doing offense defense predictions we're doing player predictions and team predictions uh i uh kind of went a little safer than you i i mean i'm just i feel like all my predictions are bold but i always don't feel like they're that bold because i think they're going to be right so it's kind of a battle inside my own head here but i guess if you want to lead us off here uh We'll start with player predictions. Uh, what is your main player prediction going into 2021? So I was trying to decide how bold I wanted to be. And so my main player prediction is that Travion Henderson will run for a thousand yards. Um, I think that's only happened like four times in Ohio State history. Um, it is not often that that happens from a freshman. I was originally going to say that he was going to break the freshman rushing record, which is a, like 1,247 yards, which J.K. Dobbins did. But I was like, mm, Ohio State's probably going to like BS around and get massive teeks some carries the first couple of games. Play five before. running backs. Yeah. Yeah, before Travion, like we all know he's going to be the starter, but before he's actually the starter, he's probably going to take like game four. So I'm just leaving it. He's going to be, he's going to rush for a thousand yards. I think that's a good prediction. I, I know, I, I know we both have a little bit of different views on the running back room, but I think, I think it's an arguable Travion Henderson's going to have a huge role on this team. Thousand yards for me. I, I was thinking more in the 600, 700 yards range for him, but I, I mean, it's bold prediction week. So I'm with you there. Uh, my bold prediction, and I, you guys know I've been a Tyreek Smith fan for the last three years, uh, if you guys have been listening to Buck Off that long. Uh, I think this is the year where we finally have a tandem of two defensive ends be absolutely elite. And Tyreek Smith was going to be on the list no matter what, but I decided to go with his running mate, Zach Harrison, here. And I think they will both have 10 sacks in 2021. And this is all pending. They end up playing the primary roles as pass rushers because guess what? We have two dogs that are very young. We have a lot of depth at the position, so there's going to be a lot of rotating. But I think these two guys are very capable of being 10-sack guys. Uh, if not together, at least one of them will be a 10-sack guy. But my bold prediction is they both will be. 
to follow, following up with that one, my bold prediction, my another one that I have is that Jack Sawyer will have eight sacks, um, which is really good for a freshman. Yeah. And really good for a freshman when you have Kevin Smith and Zach Harrison. I mean, whatever, you can go on and on. They're not Nick Bosa, Joe Bosa, uh, whatever. They're very good players. They're projected to go first or second round. They're going to have long NFL careers. Like, they – they don't have the production that we normally see, but if you actually watch the game, they were half a step away from a bunch of sacks. So for Jack Sawyer to have eight with this group in front of him, uh, that is an amazing campaign. So. Yeah, and I think when you look at the full season, I think, you know, 20 sacks between two guys, uh, eight sacks from a guy behind them. I think Jack Sawyer is very capable in that regard, too. I think as a team, 40 to 50 sacks on the year is very much in the realm of possibility. And I think there's a lot of love to go around. So I think this team will get after it. If the secondary can be better, I think a lot of sacks are on the table. Yeah, I mean, 40 sacks is just a little under three a game. And I think um, that's completely sacks possible. Is a, it's three and a half a game. They can definitely do that. And and if they had 50 sacks and 28 of them came from Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, and um, Jack, Sawyer Jack Sawyer would not be surprised. No one's going to be surprised. All right. And then I see you have one more player prediction here, and I have one more player prediction. They kind of go hand in hand on this. So uh, I'm going to let you get us started here uh, with this one. So mine is not super bold, um, only because it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily say this year. My bold prediction is that Kyle McCord will be a starting quarterback for the Buckeyes, and what I mean by that is he's either going to win the job this year or he's going to be the next quarterback after C.J. Stroud. If you're catching my drift, that means he's going to beat out Quinn Ewers or C.J. Stroud, which no one is expecting to probably meet. Um, so it is a bold prediction. It may take a couple of years to see it through, but I think that Kyle McCord is going to be a starting quarterback for the Buckeyes. I don't think he transfers. I think he wins the job, and I don't think people are giving him a bit, enough of a shot to win it this year because C.J. Stroud has done nothing that we know to determine that he's getting the job. Um, yeah. Everyone is predicting it, but Ryan Day has said nothing. So I think they're pretty much on equal play, um, equal platform. And if Kyle McCord was able to put in that work in the work room, in the weight room, gain the trust of his teammates. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Dwayne Haskins and, and Joe Burrow, the competition ended in the spring. If CJ Stroud, Stroud was that far ahead, they would have ended the competition and we wouldn't go into camp with a competition. So yeah, uh, I'm not saying it's going to be this year. Maybe I'm not that bold, but I do think he will either beat out CJ Stroud or he will beat out Quinn Ewers. Yeah. So that's where I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you on one part of that. I think Kyle McCord isn't giving a fair enough shake in either of the position battles, whether it's right now or in two years from now, when whoever ends up winning the job, if it is Kyle McCord, that's a null and void conversation. But you know, I, I think it's going to be CJ Stroud in 2021. I think uh, when Ryan Day said that they want to have this pinned down two weeks in, I think it was more them saying that they want to make sure that C.J. Stroud has the job in hand. I think they wanted to give McCord a chance. I think they wanted to give Miller a chance to show what they can do. But I think it's more just to make sure they're right. And I think Stroud's going to be the starter in 2021, regardless of if Quinn Ewers shows up or not. 
Uh, I, I saw him play in the spring game. Uh, I don't think he's got the most special arm talent, but I just think he's a good athlete. The ball was always located where it needed to be. And I think when you look at what CJ Stroud's capable of and how much he's developed as a player over the last three or four years, the sky is really the limit for him. And I think he'll be the starter come fall. Not a bold prediction because everyone else is saying it, but I put it there because today everybody else was saying Quinn Ewers is going to start in 2021. And that's where I put the hammer down. CJ Stroud will be the starter in 2021. Yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, I, I believe that the best guy is going to win. Yeah, so. you know I do too. So, and it, whoever that is, I'm fine. Yeah, as long as they can, as long as they can get us to the national championship. Yeah, whoever wins this job is really going to have earned it. Yeah, and that is a 100% fact, um, especially because regardless of how you feel about him as a head coach, Ryan Day is the best quarterback we've had in a very long back best quarterback coach that we've had in a long time. Yeah. You know, no one's ready to say he's a better coach than Jim Trestle or, Ron, or Urban Meyer or whatever. That's fine. But quarterback coach, evaluator, offensive coordinator, significantly play caller, he's the best one. So if he can't pick the right quarterback, no one will. He's going to pick the right quarterback. So yeah. whoever wins, it doesn't matter. It's the right guy. And I, I really I, I really think that segues us into the next part of this where we get into team predictions because that's really where it falls on Ryan Day as the head man. Uh, so I, I kind of want to get your take on yours first. Uh, I, I think ours go hand in hand together. Uh, mine is Ohio State does not lose a conference game in 2021. And what's yours here? Your first one. Yeah, my first one is that the Buckeyes will win a national championship. And see, those two things go hand in hand. I think our yeah. our goal is to win it. And I think Ohio State, if they go undefeated in conference games, can afford a loss to Oregon early on in the year and still make the playoff. I'm not saying I want that to happen. Obviously, I'm going to root on Ohio State to beat the crap out of the Ducks because they have been just nonstop talking. But I don't think Ryan Day loses a conference game. I think with conference championships involved, he moves to 30-0 as the head coach at Ohio State in the Big Ten Conference play. Uh, there's just not a roster out there that I think lines up across from Ohio State and can knock us off. And I think that's what will lead to your prediction. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, this was not on my list, but I'm just going to say it because you mentioned it. Ohio State beats Oregon by 21 points or more. The only way they don't beat them by 21 points or more is if we put in the second unit and they score a late touchdown to make it like 17 or something like that. Yeah. I personally don't think the game is going to be close. We can talk about that a little bit, you know, later. But I, I, I've been, um, I've been hinting for a while that I was ready to say that Ohio State was going to win a national championship, and I decided to just go ahead and say it. I've been talking about it for the last month and a half. I think it's going to happen. And, you know, when we do our preview, we, I can go into it a little bit more. But just simply, every good team in the country doesn't have a starting quarterback. I think Clemson's going to take a step back. Alabama's going to be Alabama. But we, like, they lost. Like, they're going to have good wide receivers. But last year, they had transcendent wide receivers. They're going to have good wide receivers. This year, we have transcendent wide receivers. So, yeah. I, their offense is going to take a step back to normal. Like, it's not going to be the greatest offense we've ever seen in our entire life. Um, and so, I think that, like, Ohio State – and Ohio State always wins. Ohio State always wins when you don't think they're going to win. They always win the year before. Like, everyone thinks they're going to win next year, which makes me think they're going to win this year. Everyone thought they were going to win in 15. They won in 14. No one thought they were going to win in 2002. The year that they thought they were going to win, they lost to Florida. So, 
I think they win this year. Um, it's as open a competition as possible. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's my prediction. I think Ohio State wins the national championship. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, shoot, I'm not going to say they're not going to. So, uh, and lastly, let's get through. I think we got these ones real quick here. Uh, I think Ohio, I, you guys have heard me say this. I think Ohio State's pass defense. I, I've said top 50, but I'm going to go top 25 because I'm being extra bold this week. I think they recover mightily, partly due to the pass rush and partly due to some of these young studs we have in the defensive back room. I think Ohio State's pass defense will be in the top 25 next year. You know. And that'll I've lead to of, yours, honestly. Yeah, I have, I have a reason that I agree with you on this. And the reason why I agree with you is the addition of Palio Gaiotete. I promise I'm going to learn how to say that name. Um, and the reason why I say that is Ohio State has a million senior linebackers and Ryan Day still went out and got another one. And I, I think that shows a little bit of ruthlessness and a little bit of want for competition. Mm-hmm. And so I believe if you can go out and get someone who's never touched a Buckeye uniform and who's someone who is currently paying his way to Ohio State because of academic issues or whatever, you are going to start a freshman or a sophomore that is better than a senior if he's better. And yeah. I truly believe that this is the year that Ryan Day takes full control of the program. He steps out of Urban Meyer's shadows. Urban Meyer, all of, I mean, is there anyone on the roster that Urban Meyer recruited or was a primary recruiter? You've got Maybe a couple DeMario of McCall and a few DBs, I believe. Like, this is Ryan Day's team, and I think he will start a freshman or a redshirt freshman. This is where he realistically could start his own guys now over the past regimes. This is his team of 100%. And so with that, um, my last prediction is that Ohio State is going to have four or five first-round picks. Um, we always we always draft well, but Ohio State, if you look at the numbers, we have one or two first round guys and then a million second, third and fourth round guys to make up our numbers where like Alabama has a, like 10 first round guys and then like three players spread out through it throughout the rest of the draft. I think this is the year we have four or five. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, one or two of the offensive tackles um, and Haskell Garrett. All have a chance to be first round picks. I think four out of the five will be first round picks, and whoever's not will be a high second rounder. And then there's always a chance that, you know, seven, I, I don't think so. Yeah. But there's always a chance that seven bakes breaks out. And I didn't even mention Tyreek Smith or Zach Harrison. I mean, we have seven, seven or eight guys. Yeah. Who have the I think, to be first round pick. I think I did that list with you where we have seven or eight guys who could legitimately become first round picks. I did it with Matt where I was like, we might have seven or eight guys who could become first round picks. I'm not saying all of them will be, but so yeah, that really four opens five, the door I think for four or five. Solid. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that'll move us on into. Uh, one of our favorite segments we do the top five since 2005 and uh this week it is cornerbacks so uh jordan i know our list are once again very similar this is a very deep position but overall there's just some guys who are just built different than the rest of the of the rest of the group and i think they rise to the top yeah, I agree. That's the that's the one thing, you know, I think this has been great. I love doing it. But that's the one thing I don't think I, I took into account when I when I pitched this idea to you. There's just some guys who are just like you said, they're built different. And and there's no way to not have them on the list. And and so at least like, our list being kind of similar. But I still think it's a good exercise to remind us and other people like just how good these players were. Like just how good Ohio State has had it. 
Um, so yeah. I'm, and honestly, I'm excited. we could have easily probably added an honorable mention, but we kind of do that anyways. Yeah, no, definitely. But yeah, you want to lead us off here? I think uh, I like the guy you're starting with, so we'll go there. Yeah, so my number five guy is Bradley Roby. Um, I'm going to tell you I don't know why. I do know why. I'm going to tell you I just don't care to give a reason. When I think of cornerback, I think of Bradley Roby. And I, and that that is what I don't know. I understand that he's not the best corner that we've had. Everyone should know who the top one or two corners we've had. But Bradley Roby, like, really, really stuck out, almost kind of like Ryan Chazier. Like, when you think of linebacker, you know, I think we said, like, you know, Ryan Chazier may not be the best linebacker Ohio State's ever had, but he stuck out. The way he played, his look, his, like, him on the field, he, it's just like, when I think of just corner, different. I think of Bradley Roby. Yeah, and so obviously as we get into these lists more, I, yeah, Roby's higher for me on it. I think he had such an – Impact on my love for the Buckeyes. He was kind of in that transitional period, but he was legitimately the best defensive player Ohio State had when he was there. He was a defensive back who was always scoring touchdowns. He was a press man corner who was just absolutely dominant on the line of scrimmage. And he made watching cornerback play look fun. Uh, He's going to come up again for me. He's on my list, but I'm going to start with my number five and it's Jeff Akuda, and a lot of people are going to look at me and be like, oh, you're crazy. But when you look at the list in front of them, uh, there are some freaking ball players who were uh, maybe not completely better than him at Ohio, or I think they were all better than him at Ohio State, maybe not in the draft status or anything. But Jeff Akuda was a really good guy. He was a good rotational corner, and then he was a super stud for a year, and then he bounced. And I, I mean, you can't hate the hustle there, but uh, overall his impact at Ohio State wasn't as large as some of the other guys, and that's why he's number five on my list. Talent-wise, he might he, he's up there with the best of them, and that's why he's on the list because I don't think me and Jordan can emphasize this enough. This position was so loaded. Especially, I think, is there anyone on this list except our, our number one? Who wasn't recruited by Kerry Coons? Kerry Coons is a freaking animal. Like, I, like regardless of how you feel about him as a defensive coordinator, Dude, and I would love recruit. to be in a conversation. Like, he can recruit and develop corners. Like, my God, the majority of this list is from Kerry Coons, and there are like three or four other guys who could be on this list who are Kerry Coons guys. Um, I was actually like happy that Jeff Okuda was your number five because he's my number four and I thought I had him too low. Uh, I think, you know, there's a difference between NFL and college and he's the perfect NFL corner um, as far as like height, skill set, all of that kind of stuff. But even in the NFL, he didn't have an amazing rookie year. There are some guys who are higher on this list who did. And I don't always – I try to keep the NFL out of it, some of this, because this is about college and what they did for Ohio State. We're splitting hairs. But the – the other thing, the one thing that really had Jeff Okuda down on this list for me, he didn't get interceptions. He got two interceptions. He has two interceptions, I think, his whole career. And they happened his last year, which is great. I mean, I'm glad he finally got them. One of them was super memorable. What happened when he was falling down and landing on his back. But I think everyone else on this list, they were ball hogs. Yeah. Like, they – like you couldn't throw to them, not because they were going to knock the ball away, but because they were going to catch it and potentially take it for a touchdown like Bradley Roby. So I think that's everything you said about Jeff Okuda is right. But I think if anyone who's wondering like how, like how the hell we have him at five or four, 
he just didn't get interceptions. I think that's we're splitting hairs, but I think that's the thing that kind of separates him from some of the other guys. Yeah, and uh, that'll take me into my next guy on the list because I think he was a guy who was kind of the opposite of Jeff Akuda. He was very, very good at Ohio State, a very household name during his time there, a four-year contributor, uh, and uh, hits Chimdi Chekwa. And if it, a lot of you guys remember him, he was Malcolm Jenkins' wingman. Then he was the number one guy for a little bit, and then Roby showed up, I believe, and played opposite of him for a year. And – I think I think Chimji Chekwa kind of gets lost on the Kerry Coombs guy list. Uh, he's not a Kerry Coombs guy, but with so many talented corners in the 2010s, I think a lot of people forget about him. And he was one of our best corners of the since 2005. I don't think he's not on your list, but he's on my list because when he was playing, I mean, he was a bit of a ball hawk. Uh, he had six interceptions a, as a corner. Uh, it, it, that's that's a pretty good amount in a career because people are going to stop throwing at you at some point. Yeah, and no, I like um, him a lot. Chimney Checkwall is my five B. Literally, like you said, there are some guys that could be honorable mention. We always have an honorable mention. Chimney Checkwall is my five B. I actually like. I was in high school. Yeah, yeah, twelve and thirteen. I was in high school, and I think that's for me when my Ohio State fandom like really, really blew because I was playing high school football and everyone wants to go to Ohio State. And I just remember watching Chimney Chekwa and Bradley Roby. Like, I, I, I struggled keeping him off this list, um, but I had, to, I, I had to keep him off this list. And this is a guy that's not on your list. He's off the list because of Denzel Ward. Um, Denzel yeah. was, an, uh, was, was an amazing cornerback, a, a Kerry Coombs guy. And if I remember, he is like the Kerry Coombs guy. It's either Denzel Ward or Marshawn Lattimore, who was not a high well, who was not a high uh, recruit. And I'm pretty sure it was Denzel Ward. Uh, maybe I'm tripping, but I think one of them was a three-star guy. And I think it was Denzel Ward. I think yeah, out I mean, of Cleveland, I'll right? pull it up real quick. So, I mean, he, uh, All-American, first team All-Big Ten, went to the NFL and immediately went to the yeah, Pro Bowl. And he uh, was 270 nationally as a recruit. Yeah. He is the Kerry Combs guy. Like, he is the guy that's like, if you want to know Kerry Combs, like, Jeff Okuda being a good cornerback is like, duh, he should be. He was a first Denzel Ward being a good cornerback and a first-round pick and a Pro Bowler in the league, no one expected that. So, I had to put him on my list. Um and so that that's where Chimney Chekwa kind of fell off for me. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's 5B, but Denzel Ward had to be on my list. I have him as my number three. Yeah, Denzel was kind of tough for me. It was between him and Jeff Akuda for me at number five. Uh, I went with Akuda just because I, I felt I, I kind of weighed in just kind of that pure natural ability standpoint. And Ward, I mean, he's got my favorite highlight clip in Gus Johnson's soundbite of all time. Uh, I am never not going to invite Denzel Ward to the barbecue because of what he did to that Maryland offensive player. But he didn't make my list, not because uh, he's not super talented. He's my 5B, honestly. And uh, that's kind of why. Bradley Roby's my number three. I already discussed him. So we want to move on to number two. I mean, we might as well just give them both up right now. We just have the order switched. Yeah, so uh, my number two is Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, He is the like that I remember putting my eyes on because I don't remember watching um, Malcolm Jenkins, who is just to give away your number two. 
Marshawn Lattimore might be the best corner at Ohio State that I've seen with my eyes. Yeah. I mean, first team all Big Ten. It's honestly crazy. He actually didn't win. Uh, he actually wasn't an All-American. Um, but then he went to the league and won defensive rookie of the year and went to two straight Pro Bowls. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore, there was nothing that he couldn't do. Um, and I believe he had four interceptions. He has six or seven in his career, but his last year he had four interceptions. And that's four interceptions in 12 games, which means the three or four times a game that they threw to you, he was intercepting. Like yeah. That's just like that's just, that's a ridiculous percentage because you stop throwing to him. You have to stop throwing to him, and he was still getting interceptions. Um yeah. He's, my, he's your number one. He's so, my number two. So, yeah, Marshawn Lattimore is my number one. And it's strictly off just the basis that I think he was literally the best beer cover corner Ohio State's had in uh, – I, I think he's just – he might be the best pure corner Ohio State's ever had. And I know I might get some old heads arguing with me about some guys who played earlier. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore made covering the best receivers look so easy. And once you watched him transition to the NFL, it was just as easy for him there. Uh, I think college football was honestly too easy for him at times. And I, I think that kind of ran into it. He was barely thrown at. When he was thrown at, he intercepted passes. And that's why he was my number one. Uh, my number two was Malcolm Jenkins. And not because Malcolm Jenkins is a number two uh, or his number is number two, but because uh, I just it, this is just the hardest list I've done, honestly, on picking who's the best. Yeah, no, like I, I know I say this, I, I, I feel like I, I have to give the bit. This was really hard. This was easily one of the hardest ones, especially like ranking them. Like you had your six, like, and that's the thing. Like this one, I had eight or nine guys, right? Especially because it's like, do you just go with the best? Do you go with your favorites? I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. I went to middle school with Gary on Conley. He was also really good. He was a first round pick. I wanted to put him on the list. I didn't get to get put Timmy Chekwell on the list. Uh, you know, Damon Arnett wasn't on the list. Regardless of how he finished in his last year, Sean Wade's junior year is almost enough alone to put him on this list. You know, so this one, I you really I started with ten or eleven guys, and like. I, I wish you all would have seen the spreadsheet when I was making it. I literally had 10 or 11 names typed and was just like trying to figure out how I'm going to narrow this down. Um, as, as you have probably figured out, my tiebreaker is almost always awards and or stats. Malcolm Jenkins is my number one because he, he's a three-time first-team All-Big Ten player. That's just stupid. That is just ridiculous. I was just like, that's not something you hear. He was a two-time All-American. We've already discussed how hard it is to be an All-American. Marshawn Lattimore is number one and number two on our list, and he wasn't an All-American. Yeah. So to be a three-time All-First Big Ten, All First Big Ten and a two-time All-American. And one other thing that I think is important, Ohio State has never had a defensive back win the Big Ten's defensive back award. The award didn't start until 2011. Malcolm Jenkins would have won it. Like, Jeff yeah. Okuda didn't win it. Marshawn Lattimore didn't win it. Denzel Ward didn't win it. There's a bunch of Iowa guys that won it. Whatever. If that award existed in 07, 08, Malcolm Jenkins would have won it. So, yeah, I, he's my number one. But I think I'm happy with Marshawn Lattimore at number one, too. I loved him. Yeah, Malcolm Jenkins might have been. Uh, I, not just taking in corner to consideration – uh, just because I think he was just a better all-around football player than just a pure cornerback, and that's kind of how you saw him transition to the league the way he did. Uh, he really made an impact in so many different ways on the field. 
Uh, so that's kind of where my decision at number one got made. I thought Marshawn Lattimore was the best pure corner we've had. And I thought Malcolm Jenkins was just so valuable in so many different ways. Uh, but if I had to pick one guy to cover the best receiver in the world one-on-one, I'm still taking Marshawn Lattimore. And that's where my tiebreaker was. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins, one of the best football players I've ever had the pleasure of watching. And that just shows the levels there are at Ohio State when it comes to defense backs. That's, that's interesting. Um, and I think I would say, I think I would disagree with you. I think if I had to choose one guy to cover the best receiver, I would choose Jeff Okuda, at least in college. Um, yeah, I think he's I'm not still taking Lattimore. He's not like, if I need a guy, like if I need a guy to make a play for me, I'm choosing Lattimore. If I need a guy to just like, don't let him catch it, put him on an island, like lock him up. I'm going Jeff Okuda. Yeah, no, that's that's the toughest decision we've had. Uh, this was yeah. the toughest one. This was it. It was, and it, it, it kind of just makes watching. I really hope that you. I really hope your prediction about the past defense is right, because any of these guys the last year we might win a national championship. Yeah. And one thing that I will say, none of these guys are getting bullied by Jahan Dotson from Penn State. That's true. Or any of these other wide receivers. They were bullying Jahan Dotson. They are good wide receivers, but none of them are getting – no one is giving up 200 yards or whatever. Sean Wade and seven banks came up to the Penn State wide receiver. And we just need to get back to this level because it was just disgusting watching that last year. Um, and so I hope – That's what made this know, conversation like, even harder was we have seen just greatness. Yeah. And that, year after year. that takes us into the final thoughts because this guy was supposed to be the epitome of greatness. Uh, that's our top five since 2005 for the day. Uh, Tathan Martell, the six or whatever he is, I, I know it's a family name, uh, has transferred again. And our biggest shock was he still has two years of eligibility. But yeah. best for last, uh, are we rooting for Tathan? Are we uh, – oh, I mean, I just – this is a fun story. Uh, he's still playing. Uh, he swung and missed twice himself. Oh, actually three times because he swung and missed at Ohio State. He swung and missed at Miami twice. So there's three, and now he's on to his fourth swing attempt at UNLV. I think this is where he probably belonged the whole time. Yes. I would like to say this, and I wish I cared enough to pull up the the tweets. Um, I was never a Tate Martell guy. I did not like him. I didn't think he was good enough to be a Buckeye. I'm also like one of my biggest flaws with quarter. I don't. I don't like short quarterbacks. I don't. I'm not a Baker Mayfield fan. I'm not a Johnny Manziel fan. I'm not a Tate Martell fan. I understand why they're exciting to watch in college, but I never wanted them on my team. Like I would watch a million Johnny Manziel teams, but I would the game, but I would never want him as the Buckeyes quarterback. Um, and so I'm happy for him because I think this is where he ended up. And I don't think that he was the level. I think he was super exciting, but I didn't see major Division One player. And I think if he played for UNLV the entire time like he should have, he might be the best quarterback they've ever had. I'm saying that randomly because I don't know UNLV quarterbacks, but I just think that's where he should have been the whole time. Yeah, um, so I just wasn't a fan. The one UNLV quarterback. Oh, I know two. I know one personally. He was my buddy in junior college, Johnny Stannon, and then the legend, ESPN legend himself, Kenny Main, quarterback, the UNLV running Rebels. So that's a fun I fact for you guys. Uh, right, but look, see me with teaching. But yeah, Tathan Martell. Uh, I thought anytime he set foot on the field in the horseshoe was pure electricity. I, I'm excited to see that. 
at UNLV. But the thing I'm most excited for, and this is my final thought for the show before we close it out, uh, there was a tweet DM shared to the world when Tate Martell was a recruit that he was so caught and red-handed on this one. He was committed to Texas A&M. Texas A&M had another QB commit named Nick Starkle, who's still in college also at San Jose State, taking his sixth year of eligibility this year. And that is the subject of the tweet. Uh, He called Nick Starkle ass. He said, I'm not scared to go to Texas A&M University because Nick Starkle is the quarterback and he's ass, bro. And there is a game on the slate between UNLV and San Jose State coming this fall. So we've got the we've got the DM rivalry being ignited, and I will be on my couch for that. Oh yeah, I will be watching that game. That's probably going to come on at like two o'clock in the morning Eastern time, and I will watch every single minute until the NFL starts. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I, I I really hope I do really hope he succeeds, and I think he'll be good at UNLV. I just don't think he was an Ohio State quarterback. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement there. I'm going to root for him, uh, just mostly for the fun, mostly for the meme, honestly. Uh, but that's cool. it for me today. Uh, Jordan, uh, as always, it's been a great show today. Where can we let the audience find you on social media? Yeah, I would just like to say uh, everyone listening should give us props that this was not a two-hour show because it really could have been. Um, but if you think we went too long or you, you disagree with my rankings, you can find me at JordanW330 on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm honestly proud of us. We we kept the conversations concise, at least for us, uh, because we'll probably talk for another 20 minutes after the show ends, and that's what the audience doesn't get to see. But then uh, you could find me at Chris Rennie CFB, and you can find the show at Buck Off Pond. For any complaints, send them to our editors. Uh, <laughs> Because me and Jordan uh, do not want to deal with them. And if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything regarding the Buckeyes, I put out a phone line every week. We want to talk to you guys. And uh, we also, our DM, my DMs are open to all you guys. If you guys want to talk Bucks with me or have questions for the show, shoot them my way. I'm going to add it. Uh, Same. But... Yeah, I mean, it was awesome having you guys. Make sure you subscribe to the Land Grant Holy Land podcast feed and give us a nice five-star review at the bottom. Uh, Any final words for the audience today, Jordan? It's almost football season. we're, we're, We're getting close to seeing games. And that's what really matters. Yeah, it's almost football season. And once we get there, you guys are going to be hearing a lot more of us. So hopefully you guys are ready for that influx of Chris and Jordan come fall. So have a good one, guys. And we're signing out. Go Bucks.